began a series called Love Reigns. And, um, you know, it's amazing. I was even thinking this week how, how, how much I don't deserve God's love and what he did for us last week. We, we remembered on Good Friday the, the execution. You know, we call it Good Friday, but it was a bad Friday for Jesus. He got arrested the night before. He was beaten to a pulp. The Isaiah said he wasn't even recognizable as a man. Then he had to carry his cross. Then they nailed him to it, and he died, all because he loved you and me. And we, we kind of remembered that, and a lot of people recommitted their life to living under the reign of Jesus in their lives. And today we're going to continue the series, and we're going to look at how God reigns over our past, our past hurts, our past hang-ups, uh, you know, uh, our past bad decisions. Anybody besides me, you've made some bad decisions, right? And uh, even the pain and shame that we've carried maybe for years. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you don't have to be controlled by your past any longer. You know, for a lot of people, the past is a hindrance to their present and to their future. And it can be a heavy burden to bear when you carry it. A lot of people, it affects the decisions you make and it affects how you live your life. And we want you to be free of that. And I got to thinking that, that sports is an area where uh, a lot of times bad luck or, you know, evils of the past, you call it a curse or whatever. And, you know, sports are superstitious people. Like if the, if the baseball team gets on a winning streak, the one guy might wear the same socks every, every game. I mean, you know, they don't, or they won't shave or take a bath or whatever, you know, for, because they don't want to jinx anything. And, and, I mean, as Saints fans, we know what it's right to have a streak of bad luck, right? Now, I'm not talking about the Minneapolis thing and all that. I'm talking about 0-16. Who all was there besides me? I, you know, the Saints, how many years did we go before we had a winning season? Like 35 years? I mean, you know. But uh, I grew up in baseball land. My mother was a Braves fan. She's a Dodgers fan first, and she's a Braves fan. So I grew up being a Braves fan. I can remember being at Atlanta Stadium watching Sandy Koufax pitch. He was always one of my hero pitchers, you know. And, uh, and, and so the Braves lost their number one fan when she died back in November. But, but um, the Boston Red Sox made this stupid decision to sell Babe Ruth to the Yankees. I mean, that's like getting rid of Drew Brees. Don't you know San Diego is kind of thinking that way a little bit? You know, and, and, uh, and so for, for 86 years, Boston didn't win a championship game. And, and most Boston fans attributed it to the curse of the babe. I mean, they just thought they were cursed. They couldn't get beyond their past because they had sold Babe Ruth. They had the curse of the babe on them. And it was, it was 2004 before they finally broke that curse before the people finally were able to get past that past hurt. I mean, it, it, it happens like that. And, and I was looking, I Googled this, and there were so many of these things. In 1945, the Cubs made a guy named Billy Sanis. I love this one. He was the owner of the Billy Goat Tavern right there in Chicago by the, by the stadium. And, and uh, they, he brought his Billy Goat to the games every single game. But during the World Series, they made him take the Billy Goat out. And as he left, he told them, y'all will never win another championship game. And for 108 years, the Cubs didn't win a world championship or a world series. And, uh, and they finally won one. It was funny. My mother was watching it, and it looked like the other team was coming back, so she turned it off and missed them winning the pivotal game of their, of their championship. She said, I just couldn't bear to see them lose again, you know. And she always felt bad for, for the ones that lost. But, 
you know, uh, it's not just in sports that bad decisions can weigh us down. I mean, how many of you besides me, you've got one or two decisions in your past it's been hard to live down? While my dad was alive, it was always hard for me to live this particular one down. As a teenager, I was a lifeguard. I mean, think of it. I'm a teenage boy. There's lots of pretty girls at the, at the country club, at the pool. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, thank you so much. And then a friend of mine and me, I had free food too, by the way. And uh, so that was nice. And uh, how many of you, for a teenage boy, free food is like winning the lottery? I mean, that was, that was a good thing. But a friend of mine talked me into, let's roof houses. We'll make more money. Now, we're living in the South where it's hot in June and July. And I can remember one day holding a shingle, and it was stretching. It was so hot and melting. And I'm thinking, I could be by the pool. <laughs> now, every time I was about to make another bonehead decision, my daddy would remind me of that one, you know. And so sometimes it's hard to get past some of those. And some like that, they don't have long-lasting consequences. But other decisions we make have long-lasting consequences that are painful and hard to get beyond. And while you can't change your past, I want to tell you this morning, you can ensure that your past doesn't control your present or your future. The Gospels are full of people who got fresh starts because of their interactions with Jesus. You know, when you interact with Jesus, something happens. I mean, the woman who washed Jesus' feet, remember that story? He was at some religious leader's house, and, and they were looking like, you just don't know who that is that's washing your feet. And he told them, said, ever since I came in here, you didn't offer me any water to clean my feet, yet she has been washing my feet with uh, her tears. You didn't offer any oil to anoint my head, but she has poured perfume and anointed me with perfume. And he said, woman, your sins are many, but you're forgiven. And then, you know, uh, or maybe the demon-possessed man in Gadarene. Remember when he came running out? He would just break the chains. He was a crazy dude. Just, nobody wanted to go around him out there or anything. And when he encountered Jesus, all of a sudden he was sane. Uh, all of a sudden he was, he was normal. And when Jesus left, he said, I want to go with you. He said, no, go back home and tell people what's, what I've done in your life. And, uh, and so that man changed because of his interaction with Jesus. The woman with the flow of blood, she'd been sick for years and years and years. And she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she was a life of sickness and illness changed in an instant because of Jesus. Or Jairus, his daughter died. I mean, if you know, that's nothing worse than loss of a child. And here Jesus gave him his daughter back. You know, and then uh, Peter. Peter gives me hope. Somebody, you ought to be with me on this. Peter was dumb as a stump. And, uh, and, and so, but Peter, you know, one minute he's saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Next minute he's going, No, Jesus, you can't die for us. And Jesus is saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so Peter denied Jesus. He denied even knowing him to a teenage girl, little girl, it says. He said, I don't know him. And he cursed, saying, I don't know him. But yet Jesus restored him and changed his life. Matthew was a tax collector. How many of y'all like tax collectors? Anybody just love the IRS? I mean, you know, uh, if you work for them, nobody hardly ever admits it, you know. But, I mean, uh, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collector in those days were crooked. And he becomes a disciple. Can you imagine the disciples? You know, Peter's going, you know, Matthew walks up to Peter and says, Hey, man, what's your name? Jose. I ain't telling you my name. I don't want you coming after me, you know. I mean, they, they knew he was a crook. Zacchaeus, the same way, man. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, remember? Climbed up into a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. Jesus said, hey, man, I'm going to dinner at your house. 
And everybody's going, doesn't he know what that guy does? He's a tax collector. I mean, in the Bible, tax collectors had their own category. It would always be sinners and tax collectors. They had their own category. I mean, it was terrible. Then, then you had uh, the woman caught in adultery that they brought to Jesus. He probably threw a robe over her so she wouldn't be naked. And then he wrote in the sand. And, and then he said, where are your accusers? And, and she said, they're gone. And, and, and he said, neither do I accuse you. Get up and go and sin no more. Change your life. People have changed lives because of their interactions with Jesus. Write this down because I know you all looking at those blanks. When people place their trust in Jesus, they were different. When they placed their trust in Jesus, they were different, they were forgiven, and they were made new. They were different. They, they, they acted different. They thought different. They were different. They were Because they were forgiven, they had that, that load of shame taken off of them, and they were made new. This is the best news ever, y'all. I mean, we can have all of our shame and all of our guilt nullified by Jesus' love. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, and let me just explain what it means to belong to Christ. It means you've received Jesus as your Savior. If you do, you belong to Jesus now, no longer to Satan. You belong to Jesus. If you're in Christ, you've become a new person. You're not rehabilitated. You're not re-educated. You are a new person. And that's why when people are serving the Lord, and somebody says, well, you need to go to re-education and so you won't be a Bible-thumping bigot or whatever. It don't work because we're new people. We're different than we were when we were old. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And, uh, you know, Peter sets this verse up because he's bragging on all the love of God. And, and then he says, you know, when it says this means, all the stuff that he said before, this means that now we, if we belong to Christ, we're a new person. So write this down. When we place our trust in Jesus, we experience a transformation that makes us new. We go from being one thing to another. Transformation is metamorphosis. Same word as a butterfly being made out of a, a, a whatever it is. Uh, you know, uh, when, when the caterpillar, there you go. When a caterpillar goes into the cocoon, he comes out a butterfly. It's different. He's different. When you and me receive Christ, when we're born again, we're this old person, and when we and that's why baptism represents that. You go under the water to represent dying to yourself, dying to that old nature. You come up out of the water with new life. You're a new creation in Christ. So when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you become a new creation. Now, there's some things we have to do for that. And I want to go over those this morning. Number one is we've got to put off the old and put on the new. You've got to put off that old self and you've got to put on the new person. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of the process of repentance. You're, you're just going along in your old ways. You get over here and you do a U-turn and come back to going this way. And, uh, and so that's what you do. You put off that old. And see, God removes all of your sin, all of your shame, all the guilt, all the mistakes and failures in our life. When you allow God's to love to reign in your life, it will overpower the hold that those old things have on your lives. And you can experience freedom. But we can't put on the old until the new until we take off the old. Look what, look, look what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. What's the former way of life? The way we lived life before we met Christ. He said, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted. Now, I don't know about y'all, but my old self was corrupted. Mike Warnke is a, a comedian back in the 70s, Christian. He said, he said when people, when he got saved, people said, well, Christians are just brainwashing you. 
He said, my brains were dirty and they needed to be washed. I mean, you know, and, and so we need to be, uh, you know, put off that old self because it's being corrupted and be made new in the attitude of our minds. That means we think differently about God. Many of us grew up, maybe you thought God was this harsh judge. A lot of people think Jesus was a harsh judge. Somebody doesn't die for you in your place if they're a harsh judge. They die for you because they love you. And, and so we've got to change the way we think. And he said, and then put on the new self, created to be like God. So we, we do that. Now, Kathy and I used to like to watch Chip and Joanna Gaines show Fixer Upper. It's really more her than me. I like to watch stuff like Terminator. Uh, you know, we were soldiers. We were young. You know, war movies and stuff like that. But love, prefer, it gives preference. And so we watched Fixer Upper. And they would see this old rundown house that was, you know, you'd look at it and go, man, that thing this needs to be bulldozed, you know. And some of y'all can see stuff like this, and, and they'd look at it, and they would transform it into this beautiful home. But before that transformation could take place, they had to gut out all the old parts, right? They had to gut out the walls they were going to take out and the rotten wood and, and sometimes the floor. And one time I saw it was an outer wall. They didn't know it was just termite eating on that outer wall. They had to just get rid of it. You've got to get rid of that old stuff before you can put the new back in. And that's what we've got to do. When the Lord comes into our lives, He forgives our sin. He doesn't just overlook it. He forgives it. That means He, he looks at it and says, yes, you were guilty. I forgive it. It's gone. He removes it. He removes it out of our life. So write this down. When we confess our past to Jesus, we confess our past to Jesus, to Jesus in order to experience His radical. Everybody say radical with me radical forgiveness I mean it's radical for him to forgive us because we don't deserve it and, and let me tell you when you confess it's not just saying oh God I'm sorry I got caught and I'm going to do it again you're agreeing with God confessing with, to God is agreeing with God about our sin you're, you're agreeing that yes God what I did was wrong and I know it's an offense to you and I know I want to do it again but I need your help not to do it again because I really want to do what you want me to do God and I need your help to do it. Anybody with me on that? I mean, not you know, if sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. And so sometimes it's hard to quit, and we need God's help to quit. And so you're agreeing with God about your sin, and when you confess it, and you allow God to replace those old sinful ways with living godly ways, we go from telling lies to telling the truth. We go from being selfish to being selfless. We go from being a gossip to being an encourager. We go from burning with anger to full of joy. I mean... You know, when you remodel a house or if you had to gut yours out and redo it after Katrina, you've got to get rid of that old and, 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 and you've got to get it out of there and use fresh materials. If you don't, it'll come back and haunt you. And when we try and live like a new creation, we try and live like a Christian without getting, hold of, getting rid of that old. You're trying, too many people trying to hold on to some bad habits over here. If I can just do this a little bit, I'm a little bit better than I was. Now, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm going to hold on to these. You're going to be miserable, you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to be unsuccessful because we've got to put off the old before we can put on the new. We've got to have God, allow God to remove it all and give us a new heart and a new mind. And after we remove the old, we've got to put on the new. We've got to put on the new. So we do this by renewing our minds. And so we're putting on the new when we realize some things. I mean, here, you know, here, we've got to realize God forgives us of our sin. Too often we're walking around like we're still guilty. We're walking around, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, in fact, you're a saint that sometimes sins because God makes us into new people. And uh, look what 2 Corinthians 
or, or let's go to Psalm 103, 12 first. It says this, he has removed our sins. Somebody say removed. removed. He's removed our sins as far as the east from the west. You know, you can go to the North Pole and South Pole, but there's no east and west pole. You just go east and you keep on going. Just keep on going. And, keep, and he said as far as the east is from the west, they never meet. And, uh, and so your sin, he's taken your sin, and he has gotten rid of it. But you don't have to walk around defeated anymore. You don't have to walk around carrying that load uh, of what you did in the past any longer. If you're a Christian, you can be confident in the fact that you've been forgiven. You're a new creation. Your sin has been removed. You're a new creation. And the past does not have to control you any longer. It doesn't have to control you. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. He said, all of this is a gift from God. What is a gift from God? Your salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's by grace that you've been saved. He said, all of this, our salvation is a gift of God who, look, brought us back to himself through who? Christ. Through Christ. What Jesus did, we celebrated last week, the death and resurrection, that's what brought us back to God when we accept him through Christ. And he said, and he's given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the word to, world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. How many of y'all glad, besides me, that he doesn't count your sins against you? I am. The rest of y'all need to raise your hand. I mean, you know, uh, you know, when we were doing the sins on the cross, some people were asking for extra paper, you know, on Good Friday and, and stuff. I mean, you know... Here's the deal. We need to be grateful. He doesn't, I'm so grateful he didn't count all my past against me. And, um, and so we, we do that. So getting, getting past your past is not something you can do on your own. You can't make up for bad decisions by doing good. I mean, if a righteous judge, you had a lifetime of doing good, but all of a sudden you kill somebody, he said, well, I'm going to let you go because you've done a lot of good. That wouldn't be right, would it? Neither is God going to do that. And so, but Jesus paid the price for our sin. He removed that from us. He reconciled us through Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so, God had to reconcile us. He had to make us right because we were dead in our sins and there was nothing we could do. Nothing you can do. You're dead. In, have you ever seen a dead person do anything? They don't. They can't help themselves at all. They can't do anything. We were dead in our sins, but Jesus gave us life. There's, there's several things. God wants to transform you into a new person. And that's a lifelong process. I want to give you three things real quick that, that we can do to help put on the new. Number one is get involved in activities that renew your mind. Get involved in activities that renew your mind. See, if we, we want to hold on to this old stuff, it's going to mess us up. We don't want to hold on to that old stuff. We want to, we want to get involved in activities that help. Look what, what Paul said. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, in Philippians 4, let me tell you, when you read that, I want you to understand, he's not writing that to lost people. He's writing that to you and me. He's writing that to people who are followers of his. He said, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, which means it's important. If you've ever left home and your wife said, one more thing. That's what Jesus said. One more, Paul said, one more thing. Fix your thoughts. I want you to circle that. Because if he tells us to fix your thoughts, guess what you can do? You can fix your thoughts. You can focus on what, on something different. We can't replace how we feel, but we can change our thoughts. He said, he said, change your thoughts, fix your thoughts, focus on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Well, you've got to get involved in activities that are going to renew your mind, which involves reading the Word of God, letting, focusing on good things. Uh, you know, maybe you're listening to Christian music instead of some of this other junk. 
and, uh, and, and you start, maybe you stop watching the news, you know, I mean, uh, you know, your phone will tell you when something's going on, like Thursday morning when everybody's cell phones went, ee, you know, and woke everybody up because tornado warning in your area, take cover now. Yeah, that's all we need. You don't need to be keeping up with all that other stuff it, it, because he says you want to get involved in activities that renew your mind. A second thing is pattern yourself after God and not after the world. Pattern yourself after God and not after the world. What, look, at Paul said in Romans 12, too, he said, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Too often, Christians even are trying to act like the rest of the people. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different. We want to act different. We want to act the same, dress the same, talk the same. And, and uh, you know what the world offers? You know what the world system offers? The customs of this world offers? The highest suicide rate in history. You know what else it offers? Overdoses every day. We have chaplains going overdoses every single day. The, the customs of this world have nothing but pain and agony and defeat for us. But then he says this. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See, you don't have to think, I've got to be in a relationship, even if it's an unhealthy relationship. I've got to drink or I've got to take this so I'll feel better about myself. You don't have to do all that stuff because he said, let God transform you into a new person changing the way you think. You know, the best thing ever happened to me was having to read the Bible an hour a day in school because I didn't have a class that I needed to take. It transformed me. The Word of God will transform you. And we need to be into the Word of God. Let it change the way you think. Then you'll learn God's will. So we, we first, we get involved in activities that renew our mind. We pattern our, our life after God and not the world. And then three, we study to live by God's Word so it changes our behavior. One reason I've always liked the Life Application Bible is, is I don't want to know something just to know it. I want, I want to know something so it tells me what to do. I need, God, I need your word tell me what I need to be doing today. I, I, need, to, I need to change my actions. And that's what, it's, that's what I'm saying here. We've got to study the word of God. It's good to study it, but we've got to live by it so that it changes the way I act this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he said, you've been taught by the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Timothy had been taught all his life. And, and, they, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Jesus. Then he said this, all scripture, even the ones I don't like, even the ones you don't like, is inspired by God, even the one our culture doesn't like, and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. See, the, the word of God will convict you as to what you're doing is right or wrong. And now I love this part. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. See, I need that. I think probably y'all do too. We need to study the word of God so that it changes the way we act. And I believe when we confess our sins and we realize that God has removed our sin and reconciled us to him, we're in the process of being made new. It's a, it's a constant process of putting off the old and putting on the new. Second thing I want to tell you today is we've got to allow God's love to flow through us to others. We've got to allow God's love to flow through us to others. And, uh, and so Paul said in all of this, remember he's talking about all this stuff God did. He reconciled us. Sent Jesus to reconcile us. He said, all of this is a gift. But as you look at the highlights, he said, God has given us each the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, you and me, the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors. Folks, an ambassador in this day was somebody who went 
and, and implored people to join the Roman Empire. They wanted you to become a citizen. They'd conquer you, and then they'd let you buy your way into being a citizen. And that's what an ambassador did. He said, guys, we're ambassadors for Jesus, imploring people to come into the kingdom of God. I believe God wants everyone on the planet to be saved and reconciled to himself. I don't think he wants anyone to live a defeated life weighed down by sin, shame, and guilt. He doesn't want anybody to do that. And let me tell you, we go through stuff, sometimes it's not our fault, but we feel shame. He doesn't want us to live that. God extended his grace to us on the cross, and he wants you and me to be his ambassadors who implore others to come to him, to repent by confessing their sins and being reconciled to God. What we've experienced, he wants us to help other people experience. Now, for God's love to flow through us, it's not just talking. We have to live it. We've got to be real, people. We've got to be real Christians. We've got to live it. You know, I believe faith is more caught than taught. I can say a lot, but if my life doesn't live up to it, I, I don't. nobody's going to listen, right? And, uh, and sometimes the acts of one person can mess up, another, mess up you. I remember one time a guy and me were witnessing to a guy, and, and, he, and he said, y'all go to this church? I said, yeah, we go to that church. He said, you know so-and-so? I said, oh, yeah, she comes to church there. He said, well, I'm having an affair with her. <laughs> kind of shot our witness down, didn't it? You see, that's what the devil tries to do. We've got to live it. You know, I tell people I don't have a Jesus loves you bumper sticker on my car because I don't drive like Jesus loves you all the time. And I don't want to dishonor God by somebody saying, well, that Jesus guy, he really drives bad, you know. And uh, Kathy, Pastor Kathy's always telling me, just because somebody pulled in front of you 100 yards ahead doesn't mean they cut you off. I always say, well, it does when I'm going 80 and they're going 40. But anyway, <laughs> people want to see us live it. They want to see you living the life of love and grace. They want to see God's love in you. They want to see us living for God. They want to, they want to, to, to feel that oozing out of us. I mean, you know, we, can, we, can, we need to live it, but we, need, we can tell people all day what it's like, but until they see it in us, they're not going to really understand it. I remember uh, one time I baptized some children, a couple of children. One was a teenager, one was 20, I think. And I asked them, I said, what made you decide to commit your life to Christ? They said, the change we saw in our dad. Because him and his wife were separated when they first started coming to our church, and they dated for a good while, and first started just talking without throwing spears at each other, then they dated, then they got back together. And then the change in him is why those children. See, we want people to see that in us. We want people to see the love of God in us, and it will cause them, it will draw them to that, because a love for God is contagious. Write that down. A love for God is contagious. I mean, people want to hear it and see it and know that it's important to you. I mean, if I told you right now to turn around to somebody and tell them something you're excited about, grandkids or something like that, you could really get excited. I've seen that in your eyes. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, but, but, you know, it would be easy, and it's the same way with our faith. When we personally love something or someone, we can't help but tell others about it. I mean, it just oozes out of us. It's what I want. I want Jesus to just ooze out of us. I mean, it's like an overflow. I, wanted, I want us to experience God in such a way that it just overflows out of us. It, becomes, it just becomes second nature to talk about what God's doing in our life because you, you love what he's doing in your life. You know, share it. Share, I mean, share your stories. Share the big ones. Share the little ones. Share the ones in between. You know, share how it felt when God forgave you of your past sin. It's a, like a load being lifted off. Maybe, maybe share, uh, you know, how it felt when, 
when God forgave your past, you know, and, 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 or the joy when God brought you through a difficult time, or the joy when, and, when God directed you to take the right job that seems to be perfect for you, or share what it was like, you know. Share, let people know your story. I mean, let people know what, who you were before you met Jesus. Some of y'all, I'm glad I didn't know you before you met Jesus. But anyway, you might say the same thing about me. Let people know who you were. You don't embellish it. Now, I have had, we've had people come to the jail or to the boys' prison, and you'd think they still miss that way of living, you know. And, uh, and I, I knew a guy one time, and, and he'd been clean for a long time. He was a cocaine addict and alcoholic and everything. And he was, he was starting to miss the good old days a little bit, and he was in a drive through at Burger King out in New Orleans East, and there was a bar back behind there, and he could see the door, and it looked like they are having a good time in there. Then he saw this beautiful woman come out the back door, and he's thinking, you know, they're having a good time. And then she'd just been over and it all came out. You know, she threw up and he said, thank you, Jesus, for reminding me that it wasn't all fun. You know, because, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've got to let people know who we were but not embellish it. We also let, need to let people know how you met Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? See, for me, I was going to this youth group type thing called Campus Life. And, and I was going and, and, and there was something that kept drawing me. There was a piece this guy named John Elder had that I didn't have. And, and I wanted it. And one night... Uh, we went to a meeting, and, and, and it was small groups. And I'm going, oh, man, I hate these things because I'm going to have to talk. And uh, so I was trying to be a wallflower in that group. And that's the, the thing, question we all had to answer was describe, not say whether you had one or not, describe your relationship with Jesus. That was the first night I ever got honest and admitted, even though I've been in church all my life, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. That freed me up, really. And the next week, John Elder, that guy that had something I didn't want, that I wanted, said, Robert, when are you going to get off the fence? And that night, I received Jesus as my Savior. That's all you got to say. I just shared with you how it happened to me. It's not rocket scientists. So we'll let people know how you met Jesus. And then let them, let them know how he's changed your life. Some of y'all have had incredible changes in your life. All you got to do is let them know. I mean, Jesus wants to make his appeal through us, and we just want it to ooze out of us. Just want it to... You want to let it ooze out. You don't have to go give somebody the whole cannonball shot of everything. And you just talk about how God has helped you through a particular situation. The third thing I want to tell you this morning is Jesus took our sinfulness and gave us his righteousness. Let me tell you something. That's a transaction. That's an exchange that happened. See, Jesus, he took our brokenness. He took our past shame. He took our sin. And he nailed it on that cross when he went on that cross. And he even became sin on our behalf. And even though he never sinned, it was an act of love for him to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And, and I want to read it in the NIV. It said, God made him who had no sin to be sin. He became our sin. He came, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, he took my sinfulness and gave me his righteousness. So we're no longer a sinner saved by grace and walking around, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you are a saint of God who sometimes sins. And we'll stop sinning when we reach heaven. He said, he took our sin and he made us his righteousness. I want you to think about that. That's an exchange that took place. God took our sinful nature took our sin and, and became, and he gave us his righteousness. Some of y'all need to hear this. Actually, we all need to hear this. You need to know this, that when you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, 
You're united with Christ. You're in Christ now. When God looks at you, He doesn't see a terrible sinner. He doesn't see your past. He sees you as a forgiven. He looks through the blood of Jesus. He sees you as forgiven and as a righteous person that He created you to be. Now that may sound too good to be true, but that is the gospel. That's why people look at other religions and say, it's too easy. Being a Christian is too easy. It's got to be 50 different things I've got to do. You know, I've, you know and, and, and everything. There was a company one time that made cake mixes. And they made this cake mix. And all you had to do was add water to it. I mean, I could even make that cake. You know, I mean, all you got to do is make, add water. But almost nobody bought it. It was a flop. And uh, they did a little research and found out that people thought it was too simple. And because it was so simple, they couldn't trust it. And so they, they changed the formula. You add water and one egg, and then you mix it together. And guess what? It sold like hotcakes. It became a success. Why? Because people thought it was too simple the other way. We do the same thing with the Christian faith. We think it's just too simple that all I've got to do is accept Jesus. I must have to do something else. I must have to pay penance. Nothing wrong with penance. I must have to, to be good. I must have to do this or that or Keep all Ten Commandments or all 535 or whatever. No, you just receive Jesus. We think it's too good to be true. But listen, we are invited to receive the love of God and to allow it to reign in our lives. Then and only then will we experience the freedom that comes from a new life. Now let me tell you, Jesus says, follow me. So there's work to be done, but it's after salvation. Because none of that stuff, if you're doing it to try and earn God's favor, will work. I believe that God wants you and me to live a rich and satisfying life. Look at John 10, 10. Jesus said the thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. And too many of us walk around letting him kill, steal, and destroy our lives with shame, with guilt, and a heavy burden. He said, but I've come. My purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. I want the rich and satisfying life. Or some translations say an abundant life. That's what he wanted. I believe he created us to live in a relationship with him. In Psalm 139, he talks about how he created all your innermost little parts. And, and he, he created those, and he created you wonderfully. He created us to have that relationship. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He created us to have that relationship. But see, our sin prevents that from happening. I mean, our sin is what keeps us. Our sin is what caused Adam to hide from God. God's walking through the garden to have a little cup of tea with him. Saying, Adam, where are you? And Adam's over there hiding in the bushes. And he said, why are you wearing those fig leaves? He said, because we ate the fruit and I was afraid. You know, and, and, and so, see, sin builds that barrier between us and God. Paul said in Romans 3, 23, we've all sinned, every single one of us. All of us have. Say, all of us. Because, see, Pastor Kathy one time had a lady who wanted to be a Christian. She said, I want to be a Christian. And so Pastor Kathy prayed, Dear Heavenly Father, I admit to you I'm a sinner. And the lady looked up at her and said, I'm not a sinner. Yes, we are. All of us have sinned and fallen short. Matter of fact, in Romans 6, 23, he said, Not only is everybody a sinner, but your sin is the wages of your sin or what you've earned out of that sin is your death, eternal separation from God. And I love it because there's a but. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus. You see, our sin prevents that from happening. But because of what Jesus did last weekend that we celebrated, his death and his resurrection, we can experience new life, that rich 
and satisfying life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And let me tell you something. That eliminates every other religion because you've got to have a faith in a living God. We've been to that tomb and it's empty. Every other tomb, every other false religion has got bones in their leader's thing. And, and so we, we follow a living God. Peter said this, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Jesus died once and for all. He never sinned, but he died for us sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. See, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection, through his death and resurrection, we can experience life. And let me tell you something. If, if you doubt the resurrection, I love this because Paul wrote this. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. See, Jesus' death on the cross was predicted hundreds of years before, and he did it. He was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said he was going to be. But here's the thing. He was seen by Peter. And then by 12, so that's all 12 disciples. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of this writing. Now, when Paul was saying this and writing this, if, if somebody was alive that had seen different, it would have ended it right there. There's 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus at one time. I can imagine that I don't believe they were all followers. Jesus pops up at different places, and, and one time there's 500 people at one place. Can you imagine you're a Roman soldier, you look and say, wait a minute, I killed that guy. And another one says, I stuck the spear in his side. Maybe you're the high priest and you know that you crucified. You saw him put him in the grave. You paid the disciples to not tell anybody that the stone was rolled away by angels and that he was, he was risen. You know, you're looking at that and you're going, oh, man. See, that's, that's the God we serve. But here's the deal. We can believe all that. The devil believes that and he trembles. We've got to respond by trusting Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. You've got to respond. You know, so how do we do that? Here's what we do. We respond by turning from our way to Him. We just stop going our way and come towards Him. And then uh, and we call that repentance in the Bible. Acts 3.19 said, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. But you've got to turn to God. Then we invite Him into our lives trust in him to forgive us and then as best we can we allow God to control and direct our lives I want you to bow your head close your eyes Facebook you can bow your heads as well if you're here today and you don't know for certain that you know Jesus as your savior I want to give you an opportunity to do that I'm going to pray a prayer and you can pray it with me in your hearts no magic in the words. It's you crying out to God saying, you know what, I'm going to turn from my way to you. I'm repenting. I'm, I'm inviting you into my life. I'm going to let you direct my life. This prayer goes, dear God, I, had, I know my sin has separated me from you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, here's what just happened. God just forgave you of all your sins. And, and, and it says, Colossians 2.13 says, you were dead because of your sin. You are dead because of your sin. Then God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave you what? All of your sins. You can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to worry about that. If you were sincere in your prayer and, and you prayed to receive Christ, the Bible says 
in, in um, 1 John 5, 13, I've written you, to you this, who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's not just belief up here in your brain. That's you trust in the Son of God, in the name of the Son of God, so that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder. You can know. And then God gives you the Holy Spirit to lead you through each day. So he said in Galatians 5, he says, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit. We're going to listen to His Spirit. We're going to follow Him. But you've got to trust Him every day. See, we just receive Jesus by faith. We live by faith. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says this, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. So we continue to follow Him in faith. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just received Christ, that's on Facebook or in this room, I want to say a prayer for you. And then I'm going to I'll pray for the rest of us as well. Father, for those who just asked you to come into their life, I pray you'd prove yourself real in their life. God, that you'd reveal yourself to them. That as they read your word, God, that you would make it come alive. They would experience you the way I've experienced you, the way others in this room have experienced you, God. I just pray for that. Lord, for the rest of us, God, I pray. God, I pray that you will help us to put off the old and put on the new and to walk in you God I pray that you'll help us the Lord to know that our past doesn't define who we are now that we don't have to carry that heavy burden from our past any longer we can trust in what you did on the cross your forgiveness for life so God help us to, to put on and allow your love to flow through us Lord, we thank you that you took our sinfulness and gave us your righteousness. Because, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to walk as righteous. Help us to walk in that. Help us to, to own it. You gave it to us. Help us to accept it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to invite you. We're going to get back to singing on this last song some kind of way, but I'm just going to release you today. I'm going to pray one more time. But I want to invite you back Wednesday night. We're having dinners again. We have a, a good message series. We're going to be kind of talking about, anybody ever had a bad day? We had a bad 2020, right? How to live through a bad day. Next week on Sunday, invite somebody back. We're going to continue 9 a.m. and 1045 for a little while. I want to invite you back. But invite somebody to come with you. We just talked about how God's, the love of God's reign over us can can wipe away our past. Next week we're going to talk about how the love of God reigning in our life will change or transform our present. And then the following week we're going to talk about how he gives hope for the future. Anybody think we need some more hope? How many of you know some people need some hope? And so because we're doing two services, we've got a little room, you can bring somebody with you. So invite somebody to come back. If you're watching on Facebook and you just can't come back yet, you get some get your watch party going. And, uh, and you communicate with them and, because I believe God's word. We have a, a culture that needs a hope in the word of God more than ever. And so we also invite you to come back Wednesday night. We'll be streaming Wednesday, but come eat with us. And uh, anybody looking forward to something besides pizza on Wednesday night? <laughs> I love pizza, but it's like spaghetti and meat sauce is going to be good, y'all. And so the cooking team, if you want to join the cooking team, I guess see Cheryl or Faith and, and uh, Susan, and, and, uh, and, and we'll get a schedule back up. But hallelujah, we're glad. 
Pastor Kathy, you got something to add? We got Joy Fellowship tickets on yes, sale. Yes, we do. Susan Bowman has them. Susan's going to so. catch you in the front. So turn your connection cards in when you leave. Uh, Ronald, if you can work the front door for me as an usher and collect them, and Fred will get the back door. Father, I thank you for each person in this room and those watching. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you love us. God, I thank you that your word gives us hope. Lord, that your word transforms who we are. That, God, we can, we can put off that old self. Lord, I pray as we leave out of here, we walk as new, new people, new in Christ. Lord, let your love flow through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together? Amen. Amen. Y'all looking great today. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Thank you.